Good morning, everyone. Oh, we are quiet this morning. Good morning, everyone. All right. I feel like I'm at my gym, you know, if we're not loud enough when they say good morning, we all do it again, okay? But um, we're a church. We're a community of faith. We've got a lot to celebrate this morning. So I am here to pick up where Jared left off last week, Not not a small task, on our series called Wish You Were Here. And I'm talking about joy and peace today. I would say that I have the optimist's favorite fruit of the spirit combo today. Joy and peace. I mean, how good is that? When we talk about the fruit of the spirit, we're talking about the description of life that all of us aspire to if we know Jesus, if we love him and are following him. And I have good news for us today because the, I, I just have to take a survey first because I forgot this. Hey, how many of you, show of hands, would say, I would like more joy and peace in my life? Yeah, if there's any hands down, I need to interview you because you have got an incredible story. My hand's up there with you. We call that a duh question. Like, right? Everyone wants some more of that. But today, I have good news for you because the peace and joy that we long for, that we wish there was more of in our lives, and all the other facets of the fruit of the Spirit are absolutely available to us, ours, in spite of the circumstances that you brought into this room today, in spite of what your story is and wherever you're at in it today. Because I like to say every one of us lives at the intersection of reality and hope. Jesus described that this way in John 16, He said, in this world, you will have trouble, tribulation. Any other translation you want, it's not going to be a pretty word, folks. You can't dress that up, right? It's trouble. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble, but take courage or take heart. I have overcome the world. Reality, you're going to have some trouble in this life. But take heart, I have overcome the world. That's the hope. That's the hope and reality. We live at that intersection. And I don't think today that you and I can talk about joy and peace without addressing what I call the elephant in the room, kind of the challenges that we face, particularly in Western culture, to it. And so we ask ourselves, what do we do when our reality is out of whack? When it's not what we want, when it is filled with hardship or suffering or trials of all different kinds or other kinds of opposition and uncertainty, why is it that our joy and peace seem to so easily be robbed from us when things go wrong or at least when they don't go the way we wanted them to go? Well, I think about this past week. A board member hijacks your board meeting with an emotional tirade. The modem for your home computer quits when you're right in the middle of a project. You get a disappointing response to a request that you made of a friend. Or a mistake by the county in filing real estate documents costs you hundreds of dollars in attorney fees. Or a child or a grandchild is being bullied at school. Or your promised upgrade for being a frequent flyer lands you in the last row of the plane in the back corner. I had to include a first, 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 first world 
kind of problem in there, right? Or you've just received a difficult diagnosis. You know, these are just a few of the things that can threaten our joy and peace in one week's time. Because these all happen to real people. Several of them to me. Someone has said that the definition of suffering in our culture, in U.S. culture, is anything we cannot control. That the definition of suffering in our culture is anything we cannot control. I think that that's pretty close to explaining why we can move from a place of joy and peace to moaning, groaning, excessive worry, or even fits when things change. Speaking only of myself, of course. I'm the only one who does the fits part, right? But when it comes to joy and peace this morning, expectations matter. Jesus was careful to tell his followers that they could expect to have some trouble in this world, to have some difficulty, to have some hardship. The Bible's filled with examples of God's people, people who loved him, who were doing what he told them to do, and bad things happened to them. Difficult things happened to them. They suffered all kinds of hardship. Paul, the Apostle Paul, equips churches across the Roman Empire through the writing of a lot of his letters. And one of his big topics is how to deal with their anxiety and their worry related to the persecution that's going on all around them. Terrible things were happening in their world. But what about us? 2017, Western culture, Christianity. Are we told to expect hardship? And suffering as we follow Jesus. There's a whole stream of teaching called the prosperity gospel. And it does not teach us to expect hardship or trouble. Most of us, if not all of us, have been at least subtly influenced by this teaching across our life. In regards to our own expectations for our life. Now, C.S. Lewis shares a wonderful analogy that has to do with our, um, how our expectations influence our response to different circumstances. And he shares about if you're shown a hotel room and you're told this is going to be a honeymoon suite, your expectations are high. And if you walk in the door and it's not plush carpet and there's not champagne and there's not a spa-like environment, you're disappointed. But if you're led to your hotel room, and just as the door is open, you're told, this one's more like a gel cell, then you're going to be delighted with even the most modest of comforts, right? Because here's the deal. The prosperity gospel and the positive movement, thinking movement, teaches people to expect the honeymoon suite when it comes to life. So when you and I start following Jesus and we discover that there's hardships and suffering and that we might encounter some heartbreak along the way, and then in fact, we're going to even encounter our own brokenness as well as brokenness in other people's lives, then sometimes we get surprised. A friend put it this way, when did you graduate from high school? You know, we're surprised and then we get discouraged. And this is the thing, wrong expectations can make things worse as far as experiencing God's joy and peace. Because we can find ourselves down in the dumps, angry at God, when we experience challenges or detours from what we think he was, should do on our behalf and what should be happening in our expectations. And a large part of our frustration is this thinking. 
It's not supposed to be this way. Have you ever thought that? If we were really honest, it's not supposed to be like this. Maybe you'll relate, as I do, to what C.S. Lewis writes in his book, A Grief Observed, though. Because this is a book he wrote on the heels of the death of his wife, who he only got to be married to for a short time, and she died of cancer. Says, we were promised sufferings. They were part of the program. We were were even told, blessed are they who mourn. And I accept it. I've got nothing that I hadn't bargained for. Of course, it is different when the thing happens to oneself, not to others. And in reality, not imagination. So what is he saying? He's saying that hardship, that suffering that we talk about hypothetically out there, or we talk about it in somebody else's life, when that visits our life, suddenly it feels a lot different than when I'm talking about it out there in your life or somebody else's life. But here's the truth about joy and peace And the big idea that we want to talk about today, and it's this, that joy and peace can be ours in spite of our circumstances. And it's produced by the Holy Spirit's work in us as we stay connected to him, surrendered to him. So I want to take just a few minutes to review a few things about the fruit of the Spirit that Jared talked about this past week, because he kind of did the introduction out of the whole of Galatians 5. And now we're honing in on these various parts to the fruit smoothie that is the fruit of the Spirit. I want to talk, review a few of those things, and then I want to talk about how these Jesus traits can continue to grow along in the rest of our lives. So Galatians 5, verses 22 through 25 Here's what it says. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So let's review a few important points from last week. And I encourage you, listen to the podcast because it's a great message and a great introduction to this whole topic of the fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is nothing less than the character of Jesus himself that's formed in us as we stay connected to him and as we allow ourselves to be led by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit then interacts with us Growing this fruit in us slowly and gradually until we reach what the Apostle Paul called in Ephesians, the full measure of the stature of Christ. And I like to say, until we look just like Jesus, until we think just like Jesus, until we talk and act just like Jesus. And this growth is internal growth. It's not external mechanical growth, something we put on. It's not, as my mom would say, us putting lipstick on a pig. That's not what we're talking about. Now, all the fruit grow together. It's singular, not plural here. Fruit, not fruits. And what Paul's saying is that these fruits are a cluster, and they are interdependent, and you can't isolate one off to work on. They all grow together in tandem. They all work together by the moving and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So they're a package deal. 
Now, three things that Jared highlighted about the fruit of the Spirit that I want to share. One, fruit grows on the plant of its own kind. We produce what we're connected to, and this means that our lives must belong to Jesus for the fruit of the Spirit to grow in us because the fruit of the Spirit cannot be self-generated. We need what Jared called the SOS, the Spirit Operating System, in our lives for this to work. And that happens when we say yes to a relationship with Jesus Christ, when we agree with him that we are sinners and that we need his forgiveness and that we want to be reconciled with God. And we say, I received your free gift of forgiveness that you paid for on the cross. And we just start that relationship right where we're at. And he doesn't wait for us to try to work us all out and put lipstick on our pig. Instead, he gives us his spirit and gradually, slowly, the spirit operating system begins to transform our lives from glory to glory as we sang about. You see, we're all born though with another operating system, the FOS, the flesh operating system. And the flesh operating system does not like it when the spirit operating system comes in and it is antagonistic toward each other. And they fight for operational control of our lives. Number two, the fruit does grow gradually or slowly, as I mentioned. And this just means that we can't see how much we've grown in one single moment of time. But over time, we can. And the thing is, we need each other to help do that. Because we can watch each other, observe each other's lives, and we can encourage one another by commenting on how we've seen each other grow in these fruit. And that's something that's really cool to do and very encouraging. Number three, fruit grows because of its connection to the vine or tree or plant, whatever it's come from. And what does this say? This says that a natural product, a natural outcome of being led by the Spirit of God is the fruit of the Spirit when we're led by the Spirit of God rather than led by ourselves and our own control. So peace and joy then are produced by the SOS, the Spirit Operating System. Whenever it's in control, the fruit of the Spirit are growing in our lives, however slowly it may feel like at times. And that includes joy and peace. So now we want to look at what do joy and peace mean when they're mentioned in the Bible And we'll identify three things that they have in common. And then we'll think about what does this mean for us in 2017 here in Western culture? Well, I want to mention that there's three kinds of uh, three group word groups in the New Testament for joy. And one of them talks about the outward um, kind of, well, it's actually a subjective joy, a spirit of celebration that you have at a festive occasion, like a birthday party. Okay. And the second one is a more objective, it's an outward demonstration of joy that we might experience here on a Sunday morning, maybe even through worship. Maybe you've noticed sometimes, Marley leads us in this. Her hands will be outstretched. That smile will be as wide as her face. And she's looking up as though she's gazing and focusing on Jesus. And there is so much joy being exuded as she just sings out how great God is and who he is and how good he is. And that's the word for joy there. But the word for the joy that makes up the fruit of the Spirit is a third word, and it's the more common word in the New Testament for joy. It's kara. The joy we are talking about today, 
means to be glad, to rejoice over someone or something. It is take, to take delight over how Jesus has saved me, how he's transforming me. It's to just relish the beauty and the sheer joy of knowing God and the value that he has, his great worth. And it's the calm delight that we experience by remembering his goodness. But here's the deal. The joy that's the fruit of the Spirit, what's its distinctive? It's distinctive in this manner. It's distinct from happiness in that it's based, it's sourced on the goodness of God and not on the goodness of our circumstances. And that is its primary difference The joy that comes from the fruit of the Spirit comes from God's goodness and who he is, not the goodness of what's going on right now in my life. And that's good news for us. Now, the Bible's filled with examples of this kind of joy. There were two women. It was the two Marys. They decided to visit the tomb to check on the status of Jesus. They go there. The tomb's empty. There's an angel, and he says, I want you to go tell the others he's not here. He's risen. And it says that they hurried away, afraid, yet filled with joy. Afraid. Can you see the paradox in that? And yet filled with joy, reality, and hope. That's the intersection they were living at. The Apostle Paul, he writes to the church at Philippi from prison. What does he say? Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice That same Paul in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 10, describes himself and the other followers of Christ, the other disciples, with these words. We are sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. You see the paradox again? Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. And he goes on to tell us what are some of the things that made it difficult for them. Here's their circumstances. They had troubles and hardships and distresses and beatings and riots and imprisonments and hard work and sleepless nights and hunger. Hmm. I think the last three kind of sound like parenting. Maybe for some of you, you'd add a few others, right? But what he's saying is, these things happened to us, yet we were sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. This was our reality. It wasn't fun. It wasn't pretty. But we were always rejoicing. There's this paradox of the joy that comes from the fruit of the Spirit that's about God's goodness and not the goodness of our circumstances. James writes about it in James 1, 2, and 3, where he says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you encounter or you face many trials. Or trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And in Acts 13, 52, Luke recounts Paul and Barnabas being expelled or thrown out of the town of Iconium. And what was their crime? They'd done what God told them to do, go and preach the gospel in that city. And they'd stirred up a riot and, and expelled them from the town. So what was their response to this dangerous, unfair Difficult circumstances, it says this, and the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. Expelled from town, yet filled with joy. Paul writes to the believers at Thessalonica and says, you became imitators of us and of the Lord, and you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. Severe suffering The joy of the Holy Spirit. 
That's the joy we're talking about today. Joy that can happen regardless of our circumstances. That's the fruit of the Spirit, joy. And then there's Jesus' example in Hebrews 12 too, when it said that Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him endured its, the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The cross and the joy. That paradox. Finally, in the middle of difficult circumstances, but a good God, we have an amazing promise. Romans 12, I mean, excuse me, Romans 8, 28. And this promise shifts our focus from the reality of our situation to the truth about our good God and his work in our change. It says this, and we know that in all things, God works for the good to those who love him and who've been called according to his purpose. So I've told you about the time when I was hit by a truck the summer after my freshman year in college, but I haven't told you this part of the story. So um, I was riding eight miles to and from work, and I was on my way to work when I was hit by this truck, and they loaded me into the ambulance, and as I got the gurney was put in, I was just looking at everything, and they were doing the IV and all that, I started thinking about the night before the Wednesday night service. And our pastor, Roy Hicks Jr., had taught us this song that he wrote straight out of Psalm 18. Praise the name of Jesus. Praise the name of Jesus. He's my rock. He's my fortress. He's my deliverer. In him will I trust. Praise the name of Jesus. And in that moment, I began to sing that song. And I heard the EMTs say something. They said, I think she's gone into shock. And they checked the IV, and they immediately did another blood pressure. And they were on the phone with the hospital where they were taking me uh, there in Eugene. Don't be surprised if the joy of the Lord is shocking for some. This is the thing, the joy that, that my Pastor Roy talked about that night when he introduced the song, and the joy that we have available to us is independent of our circumstances. It's produced by the Holy Spirit, not our external Huge work efforts and includes the certainty of God working for our good in whatever circumstances we're in. So what about the peace that Paul talks about? We've got the joy. What about the peace? That word is Irene. I love that because there's a song about that, isn't there? The word for peace in the New Testament is the equivalent of the Old Testament word shalom. And if you want a full meal deal on, on this peace of God, the shalom of God, we did that during Advent. And you can look that up online because that would be very valuable. But this word is very similar in meaning. It means to set at one again, to be at rest. And it is the confidence and rest in the wisdom and rule of God rather than our rule. And peace, like joy, is independent of our circumstances. It's not the absence of trouble, but it's the presence of God. And Jesus, as he was about to go to the cross, he made sure that his followers had these words of comfort and talk to them about the peace that was available to them on their worst day. 
Here's what he said in John 14, verses 26 through 27. He said, but when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and remind you of everything I've told you. I am leaving you with a gift. Isn't that a good word? A gift. That's not something we earn. That's not something we have to do something for. A gift. I'm leaving you with a gift. Peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. That's another important thing. So don't be troubled or afraid. You're not going to get this from the world. Peace and joy are not going to come from that source. Jesus knew this, and he wanted them to know. He said, my peace extends to your mind and to your emotions, and it includes an inner sense of calm and unshakableness. And where does this calm come from? It comes from knowing and experiencing the presence of God. It comes from a certainty about he is with me no matter what is happening around me. No matter how terrible my circumstances, the peace of God is not the absence of trouble. It's the certainty of his presence. Now, Paul, the Apostle Paul, lives this out for us over and over. He's one of the best examples because he experienced so much hardship. And in Acts 16, 25, we find Paul and his friend Silas in stocks in an inner cell in a prison in Philippi. They got thrown there for delivering a demonic spirit out of a fortune-telling girl. And her bosses didn't like it much because they lost their source of income. And so they get thrown in jail. So they're sitting there just from doing the will of God. And what are they doing at midnight? It says that they were singing hymns of praise to God and praying. And all the prisoners were listening. The peace of God, independent of our circumstances. Then you look in Acts 27, and there's a storm raging. He's in a ship. And he's headed toward Rome, but their lives, then the lives of everyone on the ship is threatened. And Paul stands up in the middle of that and gives this God-inspired pep talk to the entire crew on the ship. He says, but now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be totally destroyed. (laughs) Can any of you guys feel the, like the irony in that? Okay. The ship's going to be totally destroyed. But our lives are going to be spared. The joy of the Lord, God's goodness in the middle of the heart. Then he tells them what God is up to. This is the same Paul who wrote the verses we're so familiar with and have read multiple times, especially during election season. Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. And you know, he wrote these words later. This is one of his later letters, not one of his early letters. And here's what I imagine. I imagine Paul going, I want to let them know how you help me through the beatings, the scourgings, the stonings, through the rods that were used to beat my back, through all the attempts on my life. I want them to know how you helped me through my difficult situation. Here's what he wrote. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And we know and have talked about how that word anxious there literally means to be torn up in your emotions and in your thoughts, to be torn up about something. Have you ever felt torn apart by the things that were assailing your life? Yeah. And that's what Paul's talking about. In those situations, he said there is a solution. 
There is a solution for your worry and your anxiety. He said, our peace from God is not trying to get rid of negative thoughts, as positive psychologists might suggest. Our peace from God does not come from that. It, you may just be facing the facts of your situation. You may be as Paul was. The ship is going to be totally destroyed. Now here's the hope on the other side of it. But Paul says you're just a conversation away from the peace of God. A conversation with God. And this peace, Paul says, will guard our hearts and our minds. And the word for guard there, as we've shared, is that it refers to a bunch of soldiers that would have protected a city from invaders. And in this case, it's a bunch of soldiers protecting your mind from invasion. And why do we need a guard over our hearts and our minds when we're going through rough times? It's because this, we have an enemy. The devil, Diabolos. In the New Testament, the liar and accuser, as he's called in John 8, 44. And he is ultimately the prosecutor of our souls. And what he wants to convince you of is that God does not care about you. That God has abandoned you in your situation. That you're in that situation and it's all your fault. And in fact, that God is responsible for anything that goes wrong in your life. And if he can't convince you of that, then he'll start bringing up the what ifs and the worst case scenarios out of the situation you're facing and trying to convince you that that's where things are going. So when we talk to God about these things, we experience the peace of God, which protects us, protects our hearts and our minds against the onslaught of the enemy, not just our own personalities, not just our own anxiety disorders. We're talking about a spiritual battle here. And we need the peace of God for that. And it won't help to have a Fitbit two-minute breathing exercise, as I do on my Fitbit, where for two minutes it instructs me how to deep breathe, because this is a supernaturally empowered peace by the Spirit of God, and it is part of the fruit of the Spirit. Augustine, in the Confessions, wrote these wonderful words, God alone is the place of peace That cannot be disturbed. God alone is the place of peace that cannot be disturbed. Remain in Him. Stay. Three things that joy and peace share in common joy and peace are both accessible 24 7, independent of our circumstances. Two, joy and peace are a product of the Holy Spirit's work in us. And three, joy and peace come from the certainty of God's goodness and his presence with us. I want to share this story from my niece, Whitney. It illustrates all three of these truths about joy and peace. She is a trauma nurse, and she's spent this past month and is still there in Iraq, working in a makeshift hospital to save lives shattered by ISIS attacks on a particular city, which I can't mention. This is her story of joy and peace as she received from the Lord in the middle of horrendous circumstances, which include the slaughter of innocents. She wrote, wrote, 
Last Tuesday was the most intensely difficult day here. ISIS continued bombing food distribution centers all day, and we received child after child with horrific wounds that amassed the majority of their innocent little bodies. We try not to let anyone die alone. As I stripped off my gloves and stroked the bloody forehead of my three-year-old patient who clearly wouldn't make it, I began out of nowhere to sing a song that, to be honest, I have no recollection of hearing before. I sang it over the little girl whose braided pigtails and miniature earrings indicated she was so well-loved in this life. It didn't entirely make sense to me. But it was the only part of the song the Lord gave me. And so I sat, singing it into her ear as the ground continued to shake and the sounds of bombs continued to rage outside the tent. I sang to her that she was the Lord's, knowing that the song was as much for me as it was for her. As I crawled into bed that night, Whitney wrote, I somehow had enough internet to download the song in its entirety and discovered that the remaining lyrics that I didn't know were an incredible reminder from the Lord of why I'm here in the midst of heartache and challenges and disparity. Because I'm his. I take my direction from him, not my emotions. It was such a good and gracious reminder from the Lord. This world is confusing. My inability to understand, frustrating, and the evil that has pervaded such good and the incredible weakness that comes with the seemingly eternal battle to resist it. But what a joyous reminder that the battle isn't eternal. In fact, it has already been won. And it's not our strength or good deeds that have won it. Christ won the battle for us when he overcame death. We need the Spirit of God to remind us of God's goodness and to help us experience the presence of God in whatever circumstance we find ourselves in. It could be in the most difficult situation of our lives like my niece Whitney is experiencing. On the heels of your own disappointing news. When you've just watched your abusive husband who struggled with addiction be removed from your home. When your child calls and says they've been in a car accident. When you've been told that you've been replaced at work. When your child's report card Indicates some real problems. When your adult child has made a decision that's just grieving you. When your search for a job has yielded lots of dead ends. When you just can't seem to get pregnant. And when your dream gets slapped upside the face by somebody you thought was going to encourage you in it. And the list could go on today. Of the stories that are out there of the things we're living in the middle of. And so today, some of us have had a reality check. We wish we were here, experiencing more of the fruit of the Spirit. And we ask, what do we need to do? 
Well, it's simple, but it's not easy. We have to let go of control. We can only grow the fruit of the Spirit as we're connected to the Holy Spirit, as we're following his lead. Paul says, as we keep in step with him. That means that we trust him with the end of our story. That means that I trust him with the stories of the people I love and those situations that they're facing that aren't turning out the way I wanted to write that chapter. And the reason this is so hard is because we live in a culture where suffering is defined as anything where we're not in control. And this morning, what he's inviting us to do is what Eugene Peterson said. He said, the task is not to get God to do something I think needs to be done, but to become aware of what he's doing so I can participate in it. That's our prayer this morning. We're going to sing this song. We're going to let go of control and surrender ourselves to the power of his Holy Spirit. And I love these words. It says, come and move. We make room for you. I invite you to listen to what the Holy Spirit's saying to you. Where's he asking you to let go? What's the situation where you'd like to write the story and you've told God all about it? how it needs to look, and how it needs to happen. What is it that you need to hand over to him today? Would you consider that as we make this prayer together? So we want to pray together, and I just want you to, if you can, just holding your hands out like this, just as saying, I'm open to you, Lord. We're going to pray about this week and the kind of week that you're going to have and I'm going to have. And Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and move. We make room for you, not just in this moment, but Lord, this week, we make room for you. Lord, you asked Whitney to go to Iraq. A single woman who loves God she was all in. So Lord, we open up to you and what you'll ask us to do with you. We say, we want to see what you're up to so we can join you and participate in it. And in the middle of that, Lord, to experience your joy and peace, no matter what the circumstances are, that we would see the goodness of God and experience your presence in a way that helps us to be transformed and to be what others need in the moment. So thank you, Lord, for helping us this morning with that. And just while every head is bowed, I just want to ask if there's anyone here and you haven't made that decision to follow Jesus, that initial decision, just receive his forgiveness. And I I talked about it in the message. It's just a, Jesus, I receive your forgiveness. I want to follow you. And that's the beginning. It's just the beginning. But if that's you, if you just raise your hand and look up at me, it's only so I can acknowledge what a great decision that is. I wouldn't want to miss you this morning. Yeah. I don't want to miss anyone. So just wave your hand at me if that's you. We thank you, Lord, for your work in us. Thank you that we're all slow works in progress, but we can cheer each other on this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.